Welcome to this episode of the For the Kingdom, Not the Brand podcast. And in this episode, I am sharing with y'all some of, uh, well, uh, parts of a book written by members of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, Pastors Sean Perrin and Spencer Harmon, who I believe are both members, or, or sorry, pastors of First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And, and the chapter I'm going to be reading is Sorrow and Joy in uh, Singleness. And, and this is uh, from their book titled Letters, from a, Letters to a Romantic on uh, Dating. And yes, guys, this is the type of stuff I read when I'm bored at the airport since I am currently in Singapore right now. And I read this chapter while waiting for my dad to show up in his different flight than mine. But um, I know that this is... Um, I know this is a topic that many Christians have a struggle trying to really navigate. And, and I think that pastors uh, Sean Perrin uh, and Spencer Harmon really, really provide a lot of biblical wisdom um, for really all stages or, or, or uh, phases, if you will, of the dating scene. And this is chapter three, as I've said, in terms of sorrow and joy in uh, singleness. And I'm I'm not going to try to uh, butcher their chapter, and I'm actually going to read it out for you guys because I think that this might change how a lot of you view well, just how you endure through singleness, for lack of a better phrase. And so, Pastor Harmon's chapter begins, dear dear romantic. Uh, let's be honest, marriage celebrations aren't always joyful. Of course, plenty of people at weddings are overflowing with joy. The older couple reminiscing on their own wedding joy, the newly engaged couple dreaming of their own wedding day, the parents of the bride and groom beaming with pride. But marriage celebrations can also be painful reminders of a, of a, part, of a persistent suffering, the suffering of a singleness. To be sure, there are single people who are not suffering. They are content with their season of life, enjoying the freedom that singleness brings. For others, however, singleness is a burden that they struggle to carry. They long for the companionship of a spouse, coming home to a friend, and the intimacy of love. You may know exactly what I'm talking about. You enjoy weddings, engagement parties, and the excitement of matrimony. Yet there is a tinge of pain, perhaps felt on the drive home, or as you hear another couple make their vows, that reverberates in your heart. You long to rejoice with your friends, but you struggle with this unmet desire. On top of this, you hear the call of the Bible to rejoice with those who, who rejoice, but your heart does not feel it. How are you supposed to rejoice while suffering? Can this sorrow and joy exist within the same heart? If we are honest, many of us hear the call to rejoice with those who rejoice. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15, as a mandate to produce a forced smile at an engagement party. We think, man, good for them, and may genuinely mean it. However, the dominant tone of our hearts is a deep groan of, How long, O Lord? But rejoicing with those who rejoice is not like forcing a smile for a family photo. It is the ownership of another's joy because you see God at work. The joy you are called to experience at your friend's engagement party or marriage ceremony is not some blind uh, naivete that ignores your own desires to be married. Instead, it is the celebration of God's good plans in the life of someone who is deeply connected to you. This means that your joy is meant to be a composite joy. The joy of the Christian is equally composed of the work of God in one's own life and the work of God in the lives of fellow Christians. 
This is what Paul means when he writes, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. The joy of the Christian is a tapestry that interweaves the threads of our lives with the lives of others. So the engagement party or marriage ceremony of your friend is actually an opportunity for you to experience real warm-hearted joy. When we find it difficult to celebrate with another Christian, typically it is not because we are, in, we are incapable of doing so. Rather, it's because we are not willing to experience joy in this way. We limit the potential moments of rejoicing in our lives to those times when things align to our preferences. The world transforms into a small clenched fist that holds our plans rather than the big world in which our happy God is busy blessing his children. See Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 41. How do you view other believers and their joy? Do they do they become only catalysts of despair anytime they get something that you don't have or are they instead members of the same body as you so that their joy is your joy? Are you soaking yourself in the reality that the church is the body of Christ, your family, so that the metaphor becomes truth? The key to rejoicing with those who rejoice is to see the victories of others as your own. But most singles are not dominated only by despair at an engagement party or marriage ceremony. Instead, we often experience a tangled web of joy and sorrow, pleasure and, pleasure and frustration, contentment and restlessness. We rejoice to see God at work, but our desire for marriage aches like a tender bruise. That isn't selfishness. It is a reminder of unwanted suffering. Singles who experience un oh, sorry, singles ex often experience unnecessary guilt because they don't understand the idea of earnest waiting. Earnest waiting happens when the truths of God's sovereignty and our responsibility meet in the suffering of our lives. When we as Christians suffer, two responses should arise from our hearts. First, we are called to wait on the Lord. The posture of our hearts is to be that of a weaned child trusting its parent. See Psalm 131, verse 2. We are not to take matters into our own hands, but instead are to hope fully in our God. See Psalm 37, verse 34, chapter 62, verse 5, and Proverbs 20, verse 22. For many Christian singles, this is, this is the primary battleground. However, Christians are also called to be persistent with the Lord. A wrong application of the sovereignty of God is to assume that we are not to pray for, for relief from suffering. Although the heroes of our faith trusted God, Hannah prayed for a child. See 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9-18. The church in Acts prayed for Peter to be released from prison in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. And Jesus honors persistence. See Luke chapter 18, verses 1-8. through It is not sinful to feel the sting of unwanted singleness at a marriage ceremony. It is sinful to allow this sting to translate into a heart that grumbles against the Lord and others. You can be sorrowful and joyful at the same time, but you cannot grumble and rejoice at the same time. Do your sorrows roll up into prayer toward the God who knows your needs, or do your sorrows knot up your soul with complaining? The pendulum could be swinging either way for you right now. You may be sorrowful, joyful, or maybe a mixture of both. Either way, God calls you to take steps of faith now. Are you sorrowful? Call on friends to partner with you as you pray for a spouse and for patience as you wait on the Lord. Are you joyful? Cultivate a lifestyle that loses, that loses itself in the joy of others. Go all out to celebrate the work of God in the lives of others by attending parties, serving at weddings, and giving your life away for the good of others. 
In other words, live the Christian life, weeping and laughing, repenting and believing, grateful while groaning. These truths are not to be applied exclusively to singleness and marriage. The Christian life is full of trials, and yet we are called to rejoice in those trials. See 1 Peter 4, chapter, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 13. We are not asked merely to rejoice with those who, who, who rejoice, but are called to rejoice in God. See Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 18, and, and also Philippians, chapter 4, verse 4. This rejoicing in God is the bedrock for sharing joy with others. In singleness and in a million other sufferings, our hearts must be confident that He does not withhold good things from those who walk uprightly. See Psalm 84, verse 11. Until then, Spencer. Anyway, that is the end of this episode, and hopefully that excerpt from the book Letters to a Romantic on Dating was helpful for everybody listening in. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Peace.